So, I'll go back to my first slide on Friday night for those who weren't here. What we meant in our conference is to make sure that people understand that we all say that we love God and that we believe that He loves us, but we still many times act as if He doesn't care about us. We all believe that the cross was for me. Quite often we still feel that God is against me, looking for faults and problems in my life. We all say, yes, of course, I believe that we're one body, but we still behave as individuals and not one body with each other. We all say, yes, I believe that God is in full control, but my life could be full of anxieties and worries about circumstances and about people's control in my life. We find out that we all, yes, I know my value is the blood of Christ, but I can easily sell myself very cheap for lust or an image or a relationship. I believe that without God I can't bear fruit, yet I've been trying so hard with my own hands to bear fruit and I'm reaping nothing. And that's a gap. I believe in God's power and authority, but I've never used it in my battles. So that's a gap. And I believe in God's glory, <coughs> but I spent hours and hours seeking people's glory, admiration, and nice words. So, this is what we meant by a gap. A gap between my belief system and the way I behave, which doesn't reflect my beliefs. Making sense? Still awake? Alright. This dilemma that we're talking about is far from new. And we've, uh, some of you already asked Abuna yesterday and asked um, the leaders of the workshop that this is similar to what St. Paul said in Romans 7 when he said, for, I'm, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Is it similar? A bit similar? So what I will to do, this is not what I want to do, I do not practice. But what I hate is what I do. And in Galatians 5, again, someone asked that question yesterday, so I thought I'd put it here, when it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So you have your wish, you have your belief system, this is how you want to live, but then you're surprised, or not surprised, that your behavior doesn't reflect that. Making sense? Okay. You need to remember that when we say that my, my behavior is not matching my beliefs, we're talking about a pattern, a theme. We're not talking about a one-off. So we we'll all have one-off where we actually commit sin and our behavior at that point doesn't match our beliefs. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a theme, a pattern in my life, where my behavior in certain area is not the way, according to the way I believe. Why do I have a gap? Again, I skim through that quickly because we mentioned that on Friday night. We said basically the life I am living, or the way I live my life, lead my life, is not the way I believe is right. It could be the way I feel, the way I feel is right, the way I feel more comfortable, that's my principle in life. Or the way I like, so I live my life the way I like, or the way I enjoy, or the way I'm most liked by people, that's the way I like to live. And that creates a gap. Or the way I am more noticed by people, more respected. If this is the, my life principle, then I will definitely drift away from my belief system. Am I going too quickly? The way I learned, or the safest way possible. So I feel insecure, 
then my life would be hinging on, uh, hinging on this principle. I'll go for the least risky. I'll go for the safest way where I take no risks. But obviously, this is not the way I believe. So, when we talked about reasons for having gaps, this is the new stuff that you haven't seen before. As Basim and Abuna spoke to you, we, have, we could have problems with our belief. Because we're saying there's a belief, there's a behavior, there's a gap. One issue could be with my belief, one problem could be with the behavior, and one problem could be the link between my belief and my behavior. Is that making sense? I should have put it on the slide. So, belief, behavior, and the link between the two. So what we're saying, is it a problem with my belief, or my behavior, or is it a link between the two that has an issue? Making sense? Um, and Basim spoke about the opposing beliefs that we might be having, holding on to, which um, makes our beliefs um, kind of neutralized or doesn't exist. Really. And Abuna spoke about us having our own dogma and our own th- theology. And Abuna also told us about the lack of knowledge, lack of revelation on how the Trinity is actually uh, or should be alive in our life and we partakers of the Trinity so Trinitarian life so we should be relating to the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and that's how uh, Abuna showed us that we need this revelation in our life to relate to our Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and also in our workshops we spoke about a faulty belief when we have that delusion that I can hold on the, the best of both worlds, the best of both um, lives, which again doesn't work. So that's what we spoke about so far. There's a problem with my belief or my uh, belief system. But also there could be a problem with a pathway. As Basim said, the distance between the mind and the heart could be quite long, if not the longest. So, what I'm trying to say, the link between my belief, the time it gets to be a behavior, is there a problem in that pathway for my belief to become an action? We'll talk about that in a minute. And then, is there a problem in my behavior? Is there an issue with my behavior that they are resistant to change? I'm trying, I'm trying to believe the right belief, but they are a bit resistant to change. So we'll talk about that today. So today we'll focus on them too, and off you go. God's original pathway between my belief system, my mind, and the rest of me. If you see the verse, it clearly says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So God designed us to be led by the Spirit of God, led by His Word, be the, the top, the, le- the leader. And the Spirit is meant to lead my, my mind. And my mind is meant to lead my body and emotions. That's the God's model. And in God's model, the mind, the body, the emotions should be working together. They are in one unity. Saint Irenaeus really emphasized that we are one. My body, my emotions and my mind should be working in harmony together. So this is God's model. After the fall, after the fall this model got distorted. So what tends to happen these days? After the fool. Some, some of us will be just using the mind. I don't need the word of God. I don't need the spirit. I'm just using my mind. Yes. What else happens? The mind is not influenced by the spirit anymore. Yeah. The mind is not influenced by the spirit. What else? The mind is influenced by the body or the emotions. Yeah. So the body or the emotions makes sense. The body or the emotions are actually leading the mind, and hence leading my decisions. 
and hence leading my behavior. So this is the faulty bit. Because if that pathway is not correct, then I'm behaving in a way that I shouldn't be um, behaving in. Is that making sense? So that's God's design. God's aim is for my mind to be the mind of Christ. Very clear. But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians. God's aim is for my body to be holy and a sacrifice and acceptable to God. Not just my mind. Clear verse. Please present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And God's aim is for my emotions to be sanctified too. So he says, Simple is talking about himself and he's saying, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection is the emotions, the feelings. So God's design is for the mind, the body, the emotions to be sanctified. God wants to give us, or has given us this new creation that has a different mind, different uh, body, different um, emotions. I'm not saying different as in a new one, uh, you don't have this body, but sanctified. Sanctified body, sanctified emotions and sanctified uh, mind. This is God's design. This is what He wants us to, to achieve. But this is not the case at the moment. For me to make sure that the transfer of orders from the spirit to the mind, that pathway is clear, doesn't have traffic in it, we touched on that in the work, workshop, we said, what state of mind do I need to have? We said we need that state of mind of babes. Because the Lord said, these things have been revealed to the babes. The babies. What's different in the babes' mindset from ours? Mentioned two things. Innocence, yeah. One more. Reliance on God and submission. So if I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm talking to people about a new policy, people won't be submissive. People will question and let's find out why this is for, and that's what we do with God. Well, well, hang on a second. As we saw in the video yesterday, why do you want me to forgive? Let's negotiate. Let's talk about that. But the submission comes with the children. They listen and they take your words for granted. They trust you. So for the pathway from the spirit to the mind to be clear, I need the submission of a babe and this verse that we used in the workshop as well. I need to have the intention to obey. The intention, the intention to do the word. So you're not listening to the spirit with an intention to examine, to study, to see if you're able to do it. Your heart's desire, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Whether or not I have the power, Lord, what I'm keen to tell you, the intention in my heart, the motive is whenever you tell, whatever you tell me, I'll do it. The Lord in Deuteronomy, um, chapter 23, I think, was praising the people of Israel because they were keen to listen to do. They were keen to observe to do, not just to listen or argue. So two main things in that mindset of our, that we should have, to clear the pathway from spirit to the mind. Mindset of the babe, submissive, and keen, inten- the intention, the keenness to do. Tell me so that I can do. Making sense? Have I lost anybody? No. Anyone? So that's the pathway between the, the spirit and my mind. How about the rest of the pathway? Does anybody know what this is? 
The very no, it's not Cairo. Yeah, yeah, someone's saying it right here. Absolutely. Well done, well done. It's actually Sweden. They, when they changed um, the uh, the way they drive from left to right, so that was in 1967, I believe. And uh, they have done it. <laughs> they have done it over a weekend. Imagine if we want to do it in Britain, how long that would take. But they've done it in a weekend. Does it look like chaos? You'd be surprised. The only uh, they done over weekend that Monday. They saw how many accidents happened. They had 130 accidents. None of them were fatal. The year before they had 180 accidents. So it's even below the usual rate. So they did quite well. 130 compared to 180, and no one died. Does that make sense to you? Why am I why am I putting this here? Because when they were driving up this morning, they were aware that the change will happen. Lots of warning. And they were so attentive as they were driving to listen to the radio and the media to see what they need to do. Because this is really important. When you're driving to work, if you drive to work, you got the BBC radio for or you watch the news, and they talk about traffic in... Let's say Birmingham. You're not Birmingham. You're not going to listen. But if they say, "Oh, traffic in Kensington is horrible," suddenly you pay attention because this bit of information is really important for you. It's really important for you. So that's what they did. They were so attentive to you. Well, what are we going to do? Are we going to drive on the left to begin with? What hour are we going to make the shift? Really attentive. And do we have that mindset? Are we so attentive? But my other question, when my mind starts to give the orders to the rest of me, the body and emotions, am I so attentive? I'll give you exactly what I mean. The Lord says to my mind, Michael, I'm giving you a revelation. I want you to know that I love you so much. Then my mind decides, I'm going to disseminate this information to my body and my emotions. And I just ignore it. Another example. A change in the NHS policy. Alright, sitting at the table, I get all the important nurses and doctors, I'm going to announce a change in our NHS policy. If people don't listen to me like these people, they will just leave with a piece of paper has some policy in it. I would like to make sure they understand what this actually means for them. Why is this important? I want you, when you read the Bible, when God reveals something to you, you need to ask yourself, and what would that mean to me? That's the key point. So when you read the Bible, when God says something to you, don't just be happy and joyous and sing and that's it. That's not enough. There's one very important question you need to ask. And what would that mean to me? The nurse sitting around the table, when I say you are changing the policy of how we give the vaccination to our patients. If she is the nurse that gives the vaccination, suddenly something happens and her ears will be like, I want to I know how I'm going to do it in this new policy. Why did I capture her attention? Because what I was talking about is really key in her role. She needs to know what that means to my role. So when I disseminate the information and the revelation from my mind, after the Spirit, to the rest of me, my heart, I need to ask myself that question. What would that mean? God, if you so much love me, what should that mean to the way I relate to you, to my friends, to my body, to lust? 
what would that be? How can I interpret that in a way that is practical? Okay, I bet you that 90% of us, we have received lots of messages and revelations from the Spirit, but we just felt happy, delighted, and we never asked, okay, what would that mean? Where, where should I go with this? And then, I examine my ways. So, okay, you've told us a new policy, I'm given the vaccination that way, this is the wrong way then. I need to change my way. And instead of giving it, let's say, in the right arm, I need to give it in the left arm. Well, so I need to change my way. And then I come up with a plan. So next time when I see a patient, I'll do it the right way. This should be my attitude when the Lord reveals something to me. When I re- read the Bible, I get a message, it's here, then to disseminate it appropriately, I need to say, well, listen, how am I going to apply this in my life? What do I need to do differently? Exactly like these people. Listen to the radio, all the information, lots of info about the change, but they're thinking, what does that mean to my journey to work? How, is that, how could that be practical? What should I do? Have I lost anybody? So now this is a dissemination from the mind to the rest of me. I'm telling myself, Michael, the Lord said this and that, this is how we should do things. They will be resistant to change. My body is not going to like it. Especially if the message is against my flesh. My emotions aren't going to be so joyous about it. Especially if the message is against the will of my, my emotions. 90% of cases, if you're going to make a change at work, at home, in a church, or whatever, there will be a begin- at the beginning there will be a stage of denial first. No, I don't have a problem, it's alright. And then anger, and then depression, oh, it has to happen anyway. And then after that, there'll be a stage of acceptance and um, new confidence because you're building new skills. Why am I putting this? Because if your body rebels against what the Lord is saying, don't panic. Wait. He will rebel and then go down a bit depressed and then he will go along with you. That's the link to the mind, the body and the feelings. So don't worry when the body rebels in the morning, oh, I need my coffee, I don't want to fast. Wait, wait, wait. He will cope. The Lord wants to bring you together into one unit. Put up your hand if it's making sense. Okay. So where are we now? We said we need to clear the path between the spirit and the mind, having the right state of mind to receive. And then between the mind and the rest of me, I need to make sure that I am asking myself how this information is translated properly in my life. And I shouldn't panic when my body or my ego or anything rebels. Okay. The Lord is clear that the flesh should be with you. So we want to bring it with you. We're not talking about the old man here, right? Not the one in Galatians. We're talking about the body. So we look after the body, we bring it along. Because as I say, we are one unit. As St. Paul says, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are both God's. So this body and my spirit, both are God's. Because sometimes we split, isn't it? God wants the spiritual element, but my body is not really keen. No, he wants both body and, and the spirit to be his. But, I only have four slides left, so don't worry. I want this to be interactive. I'll ask you a question. Is that enough? Is it, is it that easy? Or sometimes, 
agree or disagree with me. Yes, when I receive a revelation, I read the Bible, I make some changes in my life, some behaviors will change, but some others won't. Do you agree or not? Or not, or not? Do you agree that sometimes, although I think I believe in God as being my savior or uh, my helper or, or so on, all what we talked about, still some behaviors remain unchanged. Do you agree or not? Okay. I'm not going to give you the solution. I'm going to give you the problem first. So, can we think a bit about three or four reasons why some behaviors are so resistant to change? And you think, this is the tenth time I confess with the same thing and I'm still doing it. And you are very angry with yourself and harsh on yourself because this is not the first time. And then you change your father of confession for the fourth time and then you think, well, it's not working. They tell each other, I mean, uh, it's not working. There should be a problem. So I'm going to take you through three or four things that, reasons that might be behind why the change is not, going to, is not happening that easily. Um, and think about solutions with you. And that'll be it. Cool? I want you to give me examples of when the behavior, the behavior is actually giving me an incentive. And that's why I can't let go of it. I want you to give me examples of when certain behaviors in my life are actually giving me a big incentive, a big reward that, you know what, yes, I believe this is wrong, but to let go, no, it's giving me a big, a big reward. Give me examples. Say again? Short term gain, like what? Give me an example of a behavior. Be specific, I agree with you. Gambling, Gambling yes. Gambling is short term gain, so it is an incentive. Yeah, one time I got a uh, hundred pounds out of it. It's hard. Smoking, Smoking of course. There is a, a major incentive, because when you smoke, what happens? You get addicted to it. Yeah, well, initially it could... Um, you might feel a bit relaxed and you think, oh, it's giving me a big incentive here. What else? Smoking, short term gain. Absolutely, spot on. So sometimes it's not just smoking or short term, short term gain still. It's that when you do certain things at work, you immediately get people's approval. That's a big incentive. So although I am praying about it, although I believe it's wrong, this certain behavior that I keep doing with this people or this people at work or smoking is so hard to let go of. Why? Because there is a big reward. Any other examples? Laziness. Laziness? What's the incentive? <laughs> don't take much effort. It's the easy way out. <laughs> the easy way out. There's an incentive is that you don't need to think about things. You don't need to go into the hassle of doing things. So it's giving you an incentive. And that can be a behavior that is resistant to change. And the Holy Spirit, we've just said that He is the helper. In what way? He is more than capable of making you hate your old ways. So if you think, Lord, I can't let it go of it because, because of the reward I'm getting. The Holy Spirit, through His work in you, He can make you, change your perception, He can make you see how this reward is awful. And often, quite often, you hear people tell you, I've been praying about it, 
I'm praying about it and the Holy Spirit gives me like a, a revelation how this thing is abomination. I hate it. I just dread it. I'm not going to do it again. You say, well, listen, this is not scientific. This is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Mind you, hate here is not just a feeling. It's also an action. And the Holy Spirit can help you achieve that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have counseling if you're a smoker. I'm not saying you shouldn't have counseling if you're addicted to something. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But I'm saying you have, to, you have a big help to make you hate it. To make you think of the pros and cons. What am I losing? I was, I was talking to a, a, a young chap. I'm saying young because I'm old. Um, a couple of weeks ago about masturbation and he was saying well what's the loss I mean I'm getting it's all incentive I'm not harming anybody I'm not upsetting anybody and I'm getting I'm getting pleasure from it so you need the spirit to show you what the pros are what the cons are what are you actually losing because that area is blind and you need that light of the spirit to show you mate you are actually losing a lot this is a deception. So you need that flashing light to show you that this certain behavior I've been doing for years thinking it's not harming anybody. No. This reward is not a real reward. There's a massive loss behind it. There's a big loss behind it that you can't see. Make sense? My next question. Some behaviors are so resistant to change because they play a function in, in my life. Not just that word. They have a major function in my life and I don't want to lose that function. Can you give me an example? Hard one? Drugs, what function? Gratification. Gratification and coping with stress. Main one, yeah? That's a function. I don't cope with stress pretty well. The only way I learned is drugs, absolutely. And gratification. The gratification falls a bit under reward. But the function is, is the, I don't know how to do it. That's the, main, that's the main job. And I'm not prepared to sack that behavior. Because I don't know who else would do that job for me. Oh yeah, some people have been using drugs since they were 16, 15. Because they, and since then they've been using, so they don't know of any other way of handling stress. They've never learned any way. Some people cut their arms because they can't cope with their stress. Because they never learned any other way of doing it. So there are certain behaviors that form a function. And they are resistant to change. Because obviously, I don't know what else to do. Give me another example. A behavior in our lives that can actually be playing a major role. A major function. That's hard to change. Criticizing others, what's the function? The function is, oh, I'm doing this for the development of threats. If I didn't critically uh, assess the situation and criticize others, they're not going to improve, they're not going to do this, service is not going to go forward, nothing can should have done. Yeah, I think the function as well is, I have never learned any other way of managing people or making people listen to me but to criticize them. I have a function for that behavior. Lord, I agree with you. I should love one, we should love one another. But I'm really sorry. This is my only way of managing people. I need to be horrible. This is the only way I learned. Is it from my parents? Is it because I was treated the same? That's another question. But that's a, there's a big function. How can I deal with people? Give me a third example. On a behavior that is so embedded in me because there's a big function. 
Tell me anger. Anger is not a behavior. It's a feeling, but yeah, aggression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some people can't make their voice heard by any other way apart from being aggressive. So that you go to Abuna, you go to the liturgy, you hear God saying to you out loud, you shouldn't be violent with other people, and you wonder why this behavior is so deep in me. Because there's a function, I don't know what else to do. This is the only way I learned how to be confident. Is it making sense? So the function could be coping with stress or distress, no learn any other way. The function could be masking or avoiding negative feelings. I don't know how to cope with loneliness. Lord, since I was 16, I have always coped wrongly with loneliness because I don't know how to cope with that feeling. And I know I'm coping wrongly, but I find it hard to let go of that. Why? Because that behavior is making me feel secure. It's the only way I learn. There's a big function of that behavior in my life. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. So if I'm stuck and that function is actually to deal with my distress or stress or negative emotions, I need to remember the Holy Spirit has this supernatural ability of comforting me. He can comfort me. And not just that, He can deal with the source of my discomfort. But I will need to expose that. I will need to say to, to God, well listen, I've got a major problem. This is what Elijah did. Elijah was scared and the Lord knew that he was afraid. So he went to him and he said, Elijah, do not be afraid of that, of that guy. Do not be afraid of the king. Not the king, the captain who came to him with uh, 50 soldiers. So the Lord knew that he was scared. And he sent him a message to comfort him. What we haven't tried before is to rely on the Spirit to see would He be able to teach me a new way. Again, I'm not saying if you need help that you shouldn't seek help. But you need to keep in mind there's extra help from the Comforter who will be able to teach you a certain way of doing this function without needing this behavior. Have I lost anybody? Okay, third one. Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Okay. Okay. Third one. It's coming up the wrong way. Associations. There are certain behaviors that I can't let go of because they're associated with people that I like, people that I mix with. They're associated with certain social contexts that I can't not go for. These behaviors, yes, I know they're wrong. I know that my belief is against them. But they're still linked to some people, some places, and I can't let go of that. So these behaviors are so ingrained. Can you give me examples? Of a behavior that is hard to let go of because it's so associated with something dear to me, something that I can't let go of. I'm going to go even simpler. A laptop. Well, I'm addicted to websites or Facebook or, or uh, pornography and I'm sorry, it's associated with something that I use every day and I can't not use the laptop. This behavior is associated with something that I can't let go of. This is my life, my laptop. That's the simple level. You were saying hypocrisy? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's right. I was thinking hypocrisy, but after you associate with church, I can hear a certain way. 
in church, so I can't really trip more of yourself in church. Mm, that's another dimension to it. So you are saying, with the people of church, I can't let go of that because I'm part of that. So I'm sorry, it happens quite a lot. So when I'm in church with certain people, I don't behave well, but I can't let go of that because I have to go with these same people. I am vulnerable to um, swearing or alcohol, vulnerable to gossiping. But I'm sorry, Lord, I mean, I'm, I always do that with this group of people. I can't leave this group. So the sin is associated to, with, with certain things or people that I can't let go of. Not because of the sin, but because of the associations. And this happened with Lot in the Old Testament. He was living in Sodom and uh, Gomorrah and he was oppressed by the filthy conduct. He was living there. And when the angel came and took him out, away, he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains. So if you think, well, I can still manage this behavior and stay with the same group, stay in the same pub, stay with the same friends, stay in the same place, use the same computer, and I keep failing, then that says to me, you know what? You need to escape for your life. Don't look behind. Let go. The loss is much bigger than what you think. Let go of what the behavior is associated with. Even if it's your laptop, even if you decide to uh, restrict your internet, do it. There's no other way. The angel wasn't saying, alright, okay Lot, I'll give you a nice villa just outside Sodom. You don't have to go away. I'll just create that for you and let's burn the whole city. Could he not have done it? Could he not have done it? He could. It's easy for God, yeah? I give you a place just outside, we burn the whole city, and then you enjoy your life just outside. No, it doesn't work. Put up your hand if you feel that you've encountered certain behaviors that are associated with certain people or certain places, and you decided, no, I'm not going to let go of that because of the people or the place or the technology or whatever. Thank you. So you can relate to what I'm saying. And my last one. If there are some behaviors, forget the PowerPoint, that we have that are driven by past hurts. Can you give me examples of behaviors that we have in our lives, not right ones, but they're driven by hurts that we had in the past? That's why when Abuna or the Bible tells me you have to let go of this, I feel, well, I can't. And I don't know why. I don't know why I can't. I didn't know that this behavior is so much linked to something that happened to me when I was young. Can you give me an example? So betrayed by friends or treated by family, how would that lead to a behavior that I'm doing now? I agree with the, with the answer, but if, I'm, if I've been hurt by a friend when I was a, was a child or my parents didn't treat me the way I think um, was healthy, how, how would that lead to a behavior now that is troubling me? Who is that? Sorry. Mina? Absolutely. Suddenly you develop an attitude in life that you are very defensive or you are very isolated and you don't know why you always do that. But it wasn't known to you probably that this comes from a past hurt that you are covering up for or you're trying to um, deal with it and you're not, you're not aware that this is going on. 
I agree, you're becoming defensive and you, you don't know why you're dealing defensively with people who are close to you your family, your friends, I don't know why you've adopted this behavior that you know it's not right but little, little did you know that it was actually linked to something deep down I agree, what else? Give me another example If you were a victim of abuse, abuse rape. rape, yeah, absolutely. You you wouldn't link it. You think, well, I don't know. Some people hate me in church, or some friends don't like me, and I don't know the link between the two. They tell me that I'm pretty uh, controlling and uh, a bit nasty to them, and I don't know why. I've been confessing, I've been repenting, I've been reading about it and I don't know what's happening but little did you know that this behavior is driven by a hurt inside you and that's why it's hard, it's hard for you to let go of it. I agree. Yeah, victims of rape, victims of abuse, they use certain behaviors. What behaviors would they use, do you think, to cope with life, to cope with the hurt? They can hate, they don't trust people also. Because they trusted once and they were abused, so they don't trust people. And they don't know where, where does this behavior come from. There's a reason why you have this behavior. Deep down, yes, but it's there. So if people were rejected as children, then suddenly, as when they mature up, like yourself, you find yourself not wanting any intimacy. So if you ask, if I ask you, well, who's your best mate? Who's that's that you're really intimate with, or with someone that you trust. You know what? I've got plenty of superficial friends, but not an intimate one. And what's your relationship with God like? I know Him, I know about Him, I pray to Him, but we are never intimate. And you don't know that because you were rejected, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are vulnerable and rejected again. Because you were rejected as a child. Parents weren't keen on you. But can you see how this behavior it's very hard to let go of because actually deep down there is a massive wound a massive hurt making sense? no? yes? another one? if you were deprived from emotions parents were not really giving you enough emotions as a child caring, loving, hugging you find yourself not able to offer care or love to people and every conference you go to, people talk about love, 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 love. You have to love, you have to love. And you're thinking, okay, now I'm making sure that the pathway is clear between God, my mind. Yes, I, I'm, I'm 100% sure I have to love people. But to get that down to action is really hard. I don't offer love. And you didn't know that this is because you yourself were not subject to that love and care. So you don't know how to do it. It doesn't come naturally. That's a behavior that is ingrained in you and you find it hard to cope with but you didn't know that it's actually covering the hurt in the past. Or you become unrealistically demanding wanting people to care for you because you have a big gap, a big void in you. And obviously that impacts on your, your, your relationship with God and other people. Have I lost anybody? I'm about to finish. Another one. If you had a critical upbringing you don't know why you are dying for approval dying for approval and if you don't get it you are so upset and you can't cope with the hurt if people just don't treat you the best and they don't tell you that we admire you so your good is not enough I need to hear that I'm great 
And if I don't hear it from my boss, from my family, from Abuna, from whoever, I feel something is missing and I don't feel right. So I tend to seek this approval all the time. And then when I want to let go of that behavior of seeking up because it humiliates me, I can't do it. Why can I not do it? Simply because I'm not aware that it's covering a hurt in the past. I was badly hurt when I, I have a patient who came to me and said, you know what, after a few sessions, it was long sessions, he was in his 50s, and then one session he was in tears and I was like, why are you crying? So I just remembered that the first time I um, did a good homework, went to my dad and said, Dad, I finished my French homework and I did it all right. And he looked at me, he was doing some work, and I said, ah, yeah. is that the best thing you could achieve? And he couldn't forget it, but it humiliated him. So his problem was actually seeking approval. He came with a marital problem because his wife couldn't cope with him. Because he wouldn't do anything without, her, without needing her to, to tell him, I love you, you're amazing, great, well done. I haven't seen a wife who does that every day, to be honest. <laughs> sorry, Mickey, sorry. <laughs> I know you're still in the honeymoon period, and you might be hearing that, but... I'm sorry for this is a disappointment to you, but... It, it, yeah, it comes with the territory, kind of thing. So she couldn't cope with that. She felt, well, just do, live your life. Why are you clinging to me, telling you, yes, well done, do it. And obviously, he, little did she, did he know that this is coming from a childhood problem. And the last one on this slide is the childhood abuse, which we touched on. And people don't trust, don't trust God. I can't open up. I can't confess. And uh, I feel there's a gap. I agree, in theory, with Abuna yesterday that I need to relate to God the Father, but it doesn't happen. It's a gap. Why can I do? Why can I not do it? Simply because there is a big issue of mistrust. I don't trust people. I don't trust people. How to bridge that gap? This is this is what we're talking about. How to be sure that I need to expose this. I need to expose this. I need to to know this is not because I like this behavior of mistrusting, it's because I have an issue, I have a, a hurt deep down and become abusive. The majority of people who have been abused are abusing others. So if your parents were abusive, 90% of cases they were abused as well. And that's the only way they learned to, to, to treat people. So again, you don't know why you're actually developing that behavior, but it's come from how you were treated in the past. So, going through these slides, I, what, the message I wanted to pass across is there are some behaviors that if you feel they are so clingy, maybe there's something underneath. Maybe there's a function. Maybe there's an incentive. Maybe there's a hurt deep down that this behavior is actually covering or masking or compensating for. And you need to explore that. You need to open that up. For I am the Lord who heals you. So no matter how deep your hurt is, you, no matter how big of a function that um, behavior is doing in your life, the Lord is more than capable of healing you and giving you that function much better than the behavior that you have. Much, much better. Abuna knows uh, uh, more than me that people who didn't go, the, didn't go through the uh, usual route of drug counseling and uh, drug services and God gave them the ability to abandon drugs and abandon addiction because God can, can help I'm not saying you shouldn't seek help but I'm saying you need to believe that the Lord is the healer and you need to start to open up 
and surrender all to Him, including your hurt, including that particular behavior. In conclusion, in Christ all have become new. So I'm not saying that you still, some of you is old, some of you, of you is a bit new. The Lord is saying all things have become new. In me, if you are in Christ, all things, I want this to stick in your mind. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah, you've just mentioned lots of behaviors that definitely don't belong to the new man. They can't be belonging to the new man. Well, hang on a second, St. Paul went through this. And don't forget that. What did he say? Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Hang on a second. It's no longer I. What is he doing here? What is he doing by saying that? If you get that right, I'll be impressed. What is he doing by, by, by psychologically, by, by this verse? What is he fundamentally doing? Change. Explain a bit more. Say again. Yeah, he's going through a struggle of change. What else? Yes, I want more expansion on this elaboration. What's he actually effectively doing? Say again. Take the blame away. There's another. Can you rephrase that? Yes, you are getting clear. Reflective. Reflective, reflecting on what's going on. What's, you're right, what's in that reflection? He's, he's claiming that my new identity is the one I want. It's not me. Okay? My new identity, I'm clinging to the identity. I'm new. I still have sins in me, but I'm new. Does that make sense? So when we sin, we sometimes say, well, ah, I am the old man again. He's not doing that. I am new, and I still have some sins, but I'm new. It's different. Isn't it different? Big difference. Because instead of saying, I am old man again, I'm back square one, there's no hope. I'm saying no, I'm new, I might have some issues. Maybe some of my behaviors need some more attention. But I'm a new creation. I'm not the old one anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just, okay. for, me, for me it feels like I'm actually like, I'm honestly, and I'm saying to myself, oh yeah, I'm all new, I'm all great, I'm fantastic. Now can we answer that question then before we leave? I think no? it's not accepting defeat. It's not accepting defeat, and you're saying, I'm just deceiving myself. What do you guys think? Is it not accepting defeat? Is it, I'm cheating myself, tricking myself, playing a game, a mind game, or is it more than that? Someone say something. Uh-huh. 
Okay, that's a very good point. Uh, sorry to interrupt you here because this is slightly separate, but it's really important. Because we have two types of thoughts to, to differentiate between. There are thoughts that are not ours. They just, as the father say, is it, look is me? Is it the word? Look is me is the word? So thoughts that are thrown at us, they're not our thoughts. We haven't generated them. And as you rightly say, they're not my thoughts. I haven't generated them. But if I interact with that thought, if I produce thoughts interacting with that thought that the devil has given me, then I've produced thoughts that I'm sinning. Why is this important? Because the devil doesn't want you to think like that. He, does, he wants you to own every thought that he gives you. And you need to say, you know, hang on a second. Me going back to work and having suddenly an evil thought of a gossip, of envy, of jealousy, of sex or whatever, I didn't generate that. I'm not going to interact or even feel guilty for having such a thought on my head. I'm going to carry on, and I'm going to use the name of Christ, and I'm going to move on in my way. I'm not going to feel, oh, I'm bad, I'm awful, I'm guilty. Yeah, so the Lord Himself had some thoughts thrown at if you, if you, on the mountain. He was tempted. But this is crucial. So if you are at home, at work, and you're bombarded with thoughts that are so evil from your past, from future, fantasy, whatever, and you spot yourself having a thought like this, you haven't sinned. Okay? This is a thought thrown at you. It's your decision. Am I going to impute it to me and say, Oh, I'm horrible. Or am I going to say, hey, no, no, I'm not engaging with that. I'm not engaging with that thought. And the church fathers say, it's the engagement with the thought. Is that, that's your decision, that's the decision you need to make. But is, it, is that important? Do you think? Do you think this is an important point? Yeah. I think it is. Because the devil doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to impute or own every thought that he gives you so he can, with, a, with his thumb, go like this. All right, can I, I want to make her feel really awful. I'm going to give her some awful thoughts from the past. Or her memory is still remembering a few things from the past naturally. But I haven't produced it. I haven't decided I want to think about that. Then I still have the ability to freely choose and say, No, I'm not going to do this. Because I'm a new creation. Is it making sense? Any questions about this? We haven't got that yet. important and the devil is so keen for us to think that if I assume that I'm a new creation because I'm still sinning then I'm deceiving myself and I'm having a laugh I am taking the mic this is not right you shouldn't be assuming that you're a new creation until you've got rid of all your sins and all your habits this is the voice of the no. This is the voice of the devil. devil. Absolutely. So, 
But am I not deceiving myself? I'm a new creation. I have a new identity in Christ. I'm a daughter of Christ. And I'm still sinning. Am I not deceiving myself? Because obviously in my mind, yeah, I'm still sinning. I'm still, and, and not only am I sinning, let's say I'm actually, I, I, I know the distinction between I sin out of weakness and between me enjoying my sin. But let's say I'm enjoying my sin. I can't be a new creation. Okay, I'll answer your question. How would you define that you are the daughter of Mr. How would I define that I'm the daughter of Mr. Armanius? The, the daughter, the son of. Okay. And you all let me carry on, and no one corrected me, and it's all taped, and... You're enjoying this, aren't you? Have I been horrible to you the whole conference? How would you define that I'm the son of Mr. Armanius? And would sinning take this away, the status of being a son? If I go home and smash everything, vandalize the whole house, and I know it's wrong, would that, would, would that allow dad to go back to the council and say, can we change his ID? I mean, can we change his birth certificate? Is that possible? Did you get the point? Can anything change that? I want you to leave the conference believing this will never change. And it's been done by God himself. So all the council of Kirkcaldy, Fife, London, Kensington can't change my birth certificate. The new one. I am a daughter and a son of God. That can't change. But I'm sinning. I'm awful. I still have behaviors. I have hurts. I am the son of God still. I am the daughter of God still. That doesn't change. Does it empower you or not? Is it in the interest? Who, who is interested, interested in not wanting you to do this or remember this or consider yourself like this? Satan. Satan, of course. Can I say I am the son of God, but still have issues, even if they're major? Can I? Of course. Can I say that I am still struggling, there are things that I'm working on in my life, but I am the son of God? Or the daughter of God? Yes, I can. But can I say, or should I say, because I am not changing, and I have had major struggles in the last year or two, with an awful sin, and I've been confessing over and over again, nothing is happening, and I'm trying to persevere, and I haven't yet got that freedom, can I say then, that my identity has changed? And God disowned me? Abuna just told us yesterday that we cannot be loved less than the Son. Look at the level that we're talking about. You with me? We're talking about doubting the identity. We're here. And the Lord in the Trinity talk, as Abuna was talking to us, He's saying, I can't love you less than the Son, my, my own Son, Jesus. He is here, and we are thinking, are we still daughters and sons, doubting our status and identity? And He's up there thinking, well, I'm telling you, I love you like my Son. I love you like Jesus. Will I abandon my Son? Never. Will I ever betray Him, be mean to Him, deny Him? Never. This is, a, this is the love that I have for you, and you are here. We are still doubting, and every sin, am I still daughter or son? Am I deceiving myself? I don't know. Is it making sense? Is it sinking in? Okay. Yes, sir. I think sometimes we identify, like, it's all about identity, but we identify ourselves, like Satan identifies us for our sin, and God identifies us as sons and daughters. So when we sin, I identify that my identity 
I am adulterer, I'm a cheater, I am this. Uh, and it's, we don't have this disconnection from sin that if I have the disconnection, then yeah, I am the daughter of Christ, but I will fall out again, I will get up back again. But if I say, I'm a cheater, this is me, this is my identity, I will never leave. Yeah, that's exactly spot on. This is what we're saying. We're repeating this over and over again because we want to make sure that we can repent because this is the basis of our repentance. Otherwise, if I don't believe that I'm a son of God, how am I going to repent? Mickey? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I remember a few years ago, he once gave a talk in our church and he explained something that when, you, when you're a new person, a new creation with God, and you walk hand in hand with God, when you sin, you fall, but you haven't let go of God's hand. It's when you, you call a person and choose to let go of God's hand and say, Oh no, I've sinned, I've lost God's hand. But God will never let go of your hand. So the sin itself, when you fall down, that doesn't make a difference. Because if you're still holding on to God's hand, you can stand up again. I remember you illustrated it. Ah, yeah, I was going to do it again. Do you want to come and help me? Please come. The fact that it that sank in, it means sunk in. It means it's. it's so would you like to be God, or would you like? No, you can be God. <laughs> so if Mickey is God and I am walking with him, we've lost track. If I'm walking with God and then we're walking together hand in hand, and then I fall, did he leave me? Did we leave each other? No. But if I decide I'm awful, I'm a failure, here I am again. When did I actually leave God? It wasn't when I sinned immediately, because there was a room for repentance and standing up. But when I decided, let me stay here. Thank you. Let me stay here. I should believe that this clapping is for me, isn't it? So, do you get the point? So, when we fall immediately, there is that room for repentance. Wait, wake up, stand up. We're still together. But when we mentally make the interpretation of the conclusion that, you know what, I'm a sinner, I'm awful, I'm horrible, I'm not the son of God anymore, I'm a failure, it's at that point that I actually decided, no, no, I want to stay here a bit. I want to stay here a bit longer. Is the last thing that you it is a problem. But the problem is death. It's not sin. What you said about the Holy Spirit several times in the beginning of the talk. And if you might say, if you ask for help for counseling, and that's a very good help, but don't forget that there is an extra help of the Holy Spirit. It's good, but it, it's not, this is not the story. This is there is humanly help and there is godly help. Right? And godly help is completely different from a humanly help. It is different level. And what does this level do? It changes our nature, which is the nature of death. Then the outcome, which is the sin, the result, will change eventually. So let's 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 be very, very clear about our identity is life in Christ. So if let's rule the verses we will reach to the beginning of the next chapter say is no condemnation of those who in Christ, that's our new identity, which is in Christ, the identity of life. So talking about science science of, of death, of death of nature, is fine to address it, 
to treat it, to repeat it against it. But this is not the end of the story. We need to know that the life is working in us. It is the way how the life grows in our, our life, interior. So let's be very clear, not be confused about the, the, just the sin and put all the sin on its own, but the, the bottom line is our death and our life. Our, did, did we have the life? Do we have the life in our, inside ourselves? Do we realize that our the identity is the life, not the death? Then the outcome, the proofs of life will be life. Thank you. It's very true and it's really important to remember that I'll ask you a question. It, following from what Murad saying before we finish, is sin or sinning the ultimate goal or aim of Satan? Is that what he wants to achieve in you? That he wants to make you sin? Is that his ultimate goal? Yes or no? Who is for yes? Put up your hand. If you think the ultimate goal of Satan is to make me sin. No. Who is for no? So what's the ultimate goal of Satan? Death, destruction. The Lord said, he, this has come to destroy. He wants to destroy you. He's not a nice bloke. He's not going to have mercy on you. He's here to destroy you, not just to make you sin. Sin is a tool. He wants to get you. And all church fathers spoke about how repentance is just standing up, having kind of a, a wash and cleansing yourself and then moving on. My last verse is, even if I have a deeply lying problem, whether it's needing psychology, needing counseling, I need to remember that the, the Word of God, as we said yesterday, is piercing and it can discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart better than any psychotherapist in the world. The Word of God, I'm not saying we shouldn't need any uh, or get any help if we need to. In fact, that's what I do. But it is the, 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 the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and is piercing. And if Satan is taking advantage of any of your problems or your hurts, again remember that the Lord said, I'm stronger. He was talking about himself. Unless that person first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. The verse before that he was saying, I, talking about himself, with the Holy Spirit I cast out demons. If I cast out demons by the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of God is at hand, is upon you. So the message is, even if Satan is taking advantage of your past hurt, of your abuse, of your being victim, of something you had in the past, of your being neglected, even if the devil is taking advantage of that, don't worry. The one you have is mightier, is stronger, can bind the devil and plunder all his house, all his possessions, which is you, your feelings and your freedom. And glory be to God. I mean, if, 